0: Welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm once again speaking with Natan Pollack, Vice President of Revenue Operations at Mambu, a cloud banking platform that empowers its customers to deliver modern financial experiences to everyone around the world. In the last episode, we talked about go-to-market strategy, particularly in bringing a financial services SaaS application to market through attorneys in Lithuania. So pretty specific, but broadly generalizable. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about how to develop a commercial playbook. So Natan, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Jeremy. Glad to be back.
0: All right, let's do it again. So let's go into the commercial playbook. And, and can you help explain a little bit of you know the, the what and the how and the why of that and how that had a major impact on revenue performance.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess setting the stage here, I joined Mambu when we were about 250 people big. And through my last three and a half years, we've grown close to a thousand people. And so I joined the revenue operations or the commercial operations side of the business quite early on in our hyperscale mode. We had raised two big rounds of funding. We were Hiring like crazy, new management layers, different team structures, and we were essentially setting up for what would look like a you know a, a, the startup to the mini enterprise in a couple of years' time. With all that team growth and all that new structure and 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 ways of thinking, it can be really confusing for an organization who does what, how do they do it, how do we think about go-to-market. And it was the first time where we needed to think about, right, this probably needs to live in a a, a single source of truth somewhere in our organization. And that's what came to be our very first attempt at creating a a commercial playbook, which spoke about all the key pillars of our commercial organization.
0: Just for context, prior to the, the 250, I guess you were employee 250 plus or minus. So prior to that, was there any sort of a codified playbook in place? There
1: were bits and pieces around the organization. So, you know, there was some some material that existed, you know, for the customer success team, some material that existed for the sales team, some for the partnership team, but no single document that brought it all together that would give a new joiner, and we were about to have many of them, a end to end version of how does this commercial organization work together? What is the glue that keeps all of this ticking?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, I think, a phrase there, single document and I think there's a bit of a, a debate-ish of, of sorts around is a playbook, is a, is a revenue playbook or a sales playbook a document or is it a collection of documents? So I, I, can you kind of expand a little bit on on your thinking and approach there?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and one that we dealt with in the creation of this playbook. You obviously have a lot of detailed, deep information in each particular team, right? And a playbook if you don't want it to be 300 pages long, have to call out the most important points, but give people the directory or the, the place to find the detailed information if they're interested to go deeper. And so we took the approach of you know creating chapter summaries, if you, if you would call them that, with a small amount of information that we believed every person in the commercial org or the product org reading this would need to understand why and how this works the hyperlink to the playbook for that specific department or function if they wanted to go deeper.
0: I think I've referenced it on the on the show before, but I'm a, a big fan of the GitLab sales handbook. GitLab puts, I think, a handbook basically outlining every part of the way that they operate their business in, in semi-open source. I'm imagining you know, something in Notion or some other some other tool like that where you've got these chapter summaries and then you can hyperlink out to to other assets. Is that the approach that you took to building this out?
1: Very similar. I've seen the GitLab ones and I agree. They're fantastic. We use that as a bit of a reference architecture. But yes, you know, running through all the different key functions and teams and, and GTM strategies with links to more detailed documents and often, you know, there were still questions that weren't answered and then we would list the relevant person in the organization who you could reach out to. And for new joiners and those that were trying to orientate themselves quickly and ramp up fast, this was a really helpful way to get a lot of their questions answered and, and get them as productive as possible, as quickly as possible.
0: One of the challenges I've seen with Playbook Assembly is you build this this monster, right? And, and it's even if it's short with chapter summaries and links, it's main link maintenance and, and chapter maintenance is still, is still a headache. How, how do you go about ongoing maintenance so it doesn't just become shelfware
1: you're asking a great question and one that we're still dealing with today to some extent there are a number of great platforms out there for content management you ultimately need a you know a champion or a content owner that keeps us up to date our i guess uh, very basic attempt was to release a semi-annual update to the document and that you know, solved for, I'd say, 80 to 90% of the problem. But yeah, there's always 10, 20% that, you know, is out of date. And that needs to just be explained in, in in real time.
0: It's actually, it's a really, it's a really good tip. I mean, I think there's the, the best intention is continuous updating. But the reality is when you have a continuous updating philosophy, I think thing that you're more likely to fail at maintenance whereas I, I think to your point if you have either a quarterly cycle or a twice a year cycle that there's a commitment that you know everything will get reviewed and and updated and tweaked and adjusted then I think you're far more likely to be successful so I, that's a, a I think a, a brilliant tip you mentioned new joiners too who are have access to the playbook how does this tie to enablement and and onboarding
1: yep it's a great question. So, you know, new new joiners at Mambu would uh, typically go through a, a onboarding process, like an onboarding boot camp, if you would call it that, where they would hear from a number of key stakeholders across the organization. So, you know, product, legal, finance, commercial was one of them. And those uh, sessions would obviously be you know short because they had to go through a, a large amount of content. But we would often reference the playbook as a piece of material or piece of content that would help them get additional context if they wanted further information after that bootcamp. So it would be a supporting document uh, after I did a 20 minute introduction on the commercial walk to those new joiners.
0: I assume a lot of that growth from 250 to over a thousand employees happened in the midst of the pandemic. And I would assume that changed potentially your your hiring profile. Are, are you guys more remote or are you hybrid?
1: Yeah, the, a lot of the growth that happened during the, the pandemic. And it's obviously creates as you know, an interesting dynamic as a lot of the colleagues that have joined in the last year or two, you've never met in that time period. Um it's an interesting way to see how organizations create a culture with you know, humans that have never met each other in real life. We had obviously fully remote at the start of the pandemic, but we're back now to I'd say a hybrid model. There are some guidelines in place. But I'd say largely in reality, those that want to come into the office and find value in coming into the office do.
0: Yeah, the reason I ask the questions around enablement because if you hire folks that are remote, they're going to be less productive because they're they just don't have those casual hallway conversations and and question answering that's Slack or Teams or whatever instant messaging tool one uses may not be you know as effective as those informal conversations. Have you noticed a difference in in productivity of you know reps who were hired in? in a fully remote world versus reps who start coming into the office?
1: Yes. And I would say that those that want to make the effort, it's still possible, but it does require a much more active desire versus the passive conversations you may over here at the water cooler. One of the strong pieces of advice I give to anyone joining the organization is to always spend time with SDRs or BDMs or inside sales Because those are the people that are having the most raw, unfiltered conversations with prospects that are hearing about your solution for the first time. And so irrespective of where you sit in the organization, it helps orientate you to understand why people are interested in your product and what are their immediate objections to the product or rumors they're hearing in the market. And so I do believe that if you are active and you want to orientate yourself and ramp up quickly, whilst those water cooler conversations are are less available in in a hybrid or remote working environment... They're asked always to, to do it actively.
0: Yeah, I've often thought it would be a very interesting experiment to have every new hire in a company be an SDR for a week or something like that. It's, oh, I'd love it. When I was actively operating, I would always set aside maybe a week, a quarter in order to pound the emails and the phones and if you want to get your your ego back down to a normal size be an SDR for a week because you know you think you're so smart and you you draft these amazing emails and you and no one responds or you make these phone calls and people hang up on you uh, it's definitely a humbling humbling experience to do that yeah i guess the alternative to that is if you have a conversation intelligence solution that's recording your calls then you can you know, listen to those periodically. I, I think marketing is great at listening to the calls, product sometimes, but it, it has to be part of the part of the culture of the company to make sure that there's regular, you know, regular call reviews.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: So it, you, you know, you mentioned that you know GitLab was a little bit of the inspiration for the playbook. So coming coming back to that, I'm just curious, what if someone's going to build one of these? What elements should should go in there? What what are the chapters?
1: So it differs company to company. I can share a bit of. You know some of the things we thought about so you know one of the key things is you know how do we look at our market you know, how do we break down our our tam sam cam what is our cam and when we speak about our cam our constrained addressable market what factors go into that evaluation so people start understanding if we believe we have x million in you know, in germany or x million in, in canada How did we get to that number and what are the factors we considered? So everyone's on sides when we talk about a market opportunity.
0: I've noticed, by the way, uh, some of our most mature portfolio companies, and it's quite rare, will have a CAM number, whatever, or they might call it total available market or whatever. But on an account by account level where they've estimated the account potential, that that I think is just a, a tip for folks to aspire to that helps so much with account prioritization especially for white space and existing accounts
1: yeah agreed
0: so you said uh, one of the chapters then was the the tam sam cam approach what what other chapters belong in the in the playbook
1: so we do a fair amount around our sales process so what does it mean when we speak about a lead how does it get handed over into an opportunity what is the qualification criteria and then once it's into an opportunity phase what are the different sales stages and the criteria we look for, or the stage gates, as they go through that different sales stage that a an account executive needs to consider. And what are all the different teams, you know, the, the, the solution engineering team or the customer value team, that get involved at the different sales stages that need to add value. So people very quickly start orientating, oh, I've heard of this particular team, and now understand where and why they get involved at a particular sales stage. And what are they measured against? What are their KPIs?
0: With respect to i guess some of those processes right there's obviously pre-sale processes but when you started the journey you'd also mentioned that there were bits and pieces around for customer success and and other functions did you end up pulling those bits and pieces of process in from you know not just pre-sales but post-sales as well
1: absolutely so there's a whole you know a whole chapter around uh, existing customer accounts how do we segment those accounts you know you have your a b c d accounts and you have different managers managing more complex accounts you have one manager managing multiple more simple accounts what does it mean to classify an a account and really the intention here is to give the audience a, a high level understanding of how does our end-to-end process work as i called out earlier if they want deep detailed information and how we you know run a QBR with an existing customer of a B account, there's a you know a hyperlink to go into that level of detail further on. And worth possibly calling out I guess the other chapter which makes up quite a large part of the, the playbook was uh, the different teams that exist. So you know the partnership team, you know the customer success team, the marketing team what are the different functions within the, those teams? What are their KPIs, and that's a really important piece that we wanted you know the organization to understand. What motivates this person to behave the way they do, and who are the the leaders of these teams? So, if you have any specific questions, who do I have to reach out to on Slack to to get my answers?
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about some of the other teams, and you mentioned marketing, and uh, you know another key success factor, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's a it's a true cliche is sales and marketing alignment, and that's a it's a very general concept, but if if I were to advise companies on on what the first thing they should do is, it's uh it's it's simply to agree on a target account list. It's so rare that they've done that. And then you've got, you know, marketing running off, spending a bunch of money on accounts that may not fit the accounts that the salespeople actually want to go after. And then the salespeople are spending all kinds of time on accounts that marketing is not warming up. So I think the target account list is is one. And then if I had a second one, it's probably the the definition of a, of an MQL. But just to get started, I think if you want to solve this sales and marketing alignment problem to the 80, you know, 80, 20%, that's, that's a good start. Would you add anything else or those are, are those good ones?
1: I think these problems are pretty consistent across most you know, startup and scale-up orgs. Yeah, I think that alignment is something that is always going to be a bit of a challenge. But as you scale up, it becomes more of a challenge because you get new stakeholders that come from companies that have different definitions and so you get a lot of strong opinions at the table. So having, you know, a, a source of truth that you can quickly turn to and say, you know, well, we've agreed on this actually six months ago, kind of goes, ah, maybe it's not my way, but there's been some sort of discussion and it, it's not a, an ongoing conversation forever that takes up the majority of the airtime in, in, in meetings. And you can then spend your time focusing on, on more collaborative tasks.
0: Well, I think some of the key success factors in sales playbook design, right? What What is the overall architecture? Do you go 300 pages or do you go chapters and detailed hyperlinks? How do you maintain it?
1: I think the key is it's a collaborative document. So you're going to have a quarterback like I was in creating this document, but the content itself needs to come from the subject matter experts. And so really getting each of those subject matter experts to understand the value and wanting to contribute meaningfully to the content can make the difference between it being, you know, a widely adopted piece of work or a shelf piece of work that goes to die. And so it does take a lot of coordination. It does take a lot of internal selling. But once those stakeholders have contributed meaningfully, they also then feel a, a sense of ownership to then go promote it within their own teams. And so you're creating advocates across the organization for what can then become a very powerful piece of work uh, that is referenced for, you know, many, many months to come.
0: I like to think of strategy for anything as people, process, and technology in that order. And it's it's telling, right, that we talked very little about technology when it came to playbooks and a lot more about governance, which is process as executed by by humans and owners and champions and subject matter experts and so forth. Well, Natan, once again, thanks for sharing your wisdom on, on yet another topic, really illuminating conversation around sales playbooks today. Thanks for being on.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. That was a little mind.
0: Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.